There's no one who likes to suffer. But yet in this life there will be the sufferings and invariably there will be the afflictions because we live in a world of sin. The Apostle Peter, he reminds the people of God here that they are not immune to such sufferings or afflictions either. The believer will be reproached because they belong to Christ. But happy are those who are reproached for the sake of the Lord. You might be mindful of some of the early apostles and the spirit that they had when they left the presence of the council. And the council told them in those days, as they brought them in after beating them, they commanded them not to speak of the name of Christ again. And we read in Acts chapter 5 and 41, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And indeed they went back to their own people. And they brought the matter before them and they prayed for boldness. They didn't want to stop speaking the name of Christ. They wanted to preach boldly. Peter reminds them here that such afflictions were designed not to ruin them but really to test their sincerity, their strength, their patience, their trust in God, while that is the case for the child of God. And through such trials and afflictions, we know that one who is a, one that's a closer and sticketh closer than any brother. We also are assured and comforted by the words of 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. For there it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted or tried, if you like, above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. The Lord will never permit anything to come into the believer's life that you cannot bear. However, there are those seasons when God will visit his vine in order to purge it. For without such times, and the church becomes filled with those who make a profession of faith, but who deny the power thereof. But the believer has nothing to fear from that, for they know that these light afflictions will soon be over. Yet this truth is used to strike a very solemn reality to the heart of the unbeliever. That Paul proceeds to ask by a very pointed question. He says, if judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin with us, verse 17, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? That's a question I trust that you will take to your heart this evening under the sound of the gospel. If you're unsaved, what shall your end be? I'm not asking tonight what way uh, you think that you will leave this world through death, but where will you be throughout eternity? What can we deduce from such a solemn question as this? What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? I want you to see first of all here the power of the gospel. 
In the context of these words, it must be concluded what a privilege it is for one to hear the gospel. You'll notice how the gospel is described in my text tonight. It says, the gospel of God. For we know it is of God. And God is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. It is in the very Godhead. The message that is to be preached, which is the power of God unto salvation, it's not a message of men, it's not a message of angels even, it's a message of God. He's the author of the tidings of good news. Because the gospel concerns things relating to God. It's the gospel that speaks for of the grace of God, that unmerited favor bestowed upon those who don't deserve the mercy of God. That unmerited favor bestowed upon those who deserve only the wrath and the judgment of God against their sin. That grace which is able to reach down. That grace that is able to reach the vilest sinner and bring them from the pit of sin. That gospel speaks of the grace of God tonight. It speaks also of the righteousness of Christ. The Savior came to this earth He lived a spotless and a sinless life. He was sinless. He could not sin. There was no guile found in his mouth. And the righteousness of God, it speaks, of course, of holiness and of perfection. A God who cannot look upon sin. And yet the miracle of the gospel of saving grace is that a sinner in conversion is clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. That righteousness of Christ is led to their account and they're declared righteous all because of Christ. Because remember what the prophet Isaiah says, there is no righteousness in any one of us. All our righteousnesses are but as filthy rags. We cannot enter into the presence of God in our sin. We need that spotless garment, just as that man who came to the king's son's wedding and he hadn't on the wedding garment. Friend, how camest thou in hither not having on a wedding garment? We need that perfect garment, men and women, if we're ever to be in heaven one day. That's the spotless righteousness of Christ that the gospel presents. The gospel speaks of being at peace with God because of the fall, that peace and that communion that man had with his creator was destroyed. And all mankind and Adam were enemies to God. Colossians 1 verse 21 reminds us of that. For it simply says, and you in Paul's writing, of course, to the believers here in Colossae says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. You once were enemies to God, but now you're reconciled. Thank God there's a way by which that peace which was lost in Adam can be regained. A sinner again can be at peace with his creator, and it's through the gospel of God. Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel declares how a guilty sinner can have forgiveness and pardon of their sins. That which is taking men and women to a lost sinner's hell is their sin. A sin that damns the soul. A soul that sinneth it shall die. 
And therefore the utmost need for the soul tonight without God's salvation is to know that their sins are forgiven. The psalmist could say, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Tell me tonight, do you have any such assurance? Do you have this blessed knowledge that your sins, which are many, have been washed away and they're gone forever? They've been dealt with forever. They've been pardoned. You're forgiven. Men and women will try all in their power to come to that place. They will try various means and ways to get forgiveness. They'll even try and go to the old priest himself, who himself is a sinner. They will go through some religious exercise or ordinance or works and try to have forgiveness of their sin. But oh, dear friend, there's only one way that our sins can be forgiven. There's only one means by which they can be covered over, never to be remembered against us again. And that is by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross of Calvary. It is in Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. The gospel of God is the only message where a sinner can find forgiveness and pardon for their sins. The gospel speaks of the sinner finding acceptance with God. We're made accepted in the beloved. It's the gospel of God that gives that hope to the hopeless. One day, when they leave behind the afflictions and the pain of this old world, it will be for them forever far better. Paul could say, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Only the child of God can say that. That hope that dwells within the breast, that when we shall be absent from the body, we will be present with the Lord. You see, men and women, child, young person, there is no other message which can give such life and hope to a dead sinner. The message of a Savior who died and rose again and is alive forevermore, one day soon to return for his own people. What a powerful message! When we think of the content of the gospel, we can only conclude that it is a message of good news. That is indeed the word that is used here. The word is evangelizo. The message of good news and tidings which is to be proclaimed to all. I put it to you that in being reminded of all that the gospel entails, or at least a little summary of it, is it not a privilege that you're under the preaching of that message? And for many of you, it is also the message that you have been nurtured in from knee high. Your mother maybe has taught it to you. Your father, you've been taught it by a saved Sunday school teacher. Uh, The message that has been in countless number of times been placed into your hand uh, by printed form. The message whereby a sinner like you can be saved. But to your shame, you may think nothing about it. You've sought to put it to the back of your mind and to get all my things in this world. But this verse teaches me that it's a privilege for a guilty man or guilty woman to hear the gospel of God because it is powerful enough to cleanse the vilest sinner clean. How tragic that you should take it therefore for granted. Let me remind you, it is the mercy of God to your soul that you should hear the gospel. Good news. 
simply what it means. And so we have the power of the gospel in this verse. But you know, we also see the requirement of the sinner. It's one thing in hearing the gospel. And we ought not to forget that there are millions in this world who have never heard the message of good news once. We have heard how down through church history the missionaries of the cross have went out and they've left home and family and country and they've went and they've told forth the message of the gospel for the first time and people have responded and people have been saved. That only but adds to the responsibility that men and women have in this country for how many times have you heard the message? But I want you to understand that God requires not only that you should hear the message and be attentive to it. I want to tell you there's no other better place you, you could be on a Sunday night than in the house of God under the preaching of the gospel. But God requires not only that, but the implication of these words in my text tonight would also instruct us that there's another requirement, that is to obey the message. Because the question is this, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? The apostle has addressed those who were the people of God, they were those who obeyed the message that they heard but these words, by implication, they're speaking, they're speaking of another people, and that other people were disobedient. He is referring to those who have had the privilege of hearing the gospel, but that is as far as it went. We can come back to those old words of, of, of Samuel. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of ram. And Saul was given a command by God to slay the Amorites, and he didn't. He, he spared the king and the best of the flock. And that's why Samuel was to bring forth those words, Behold, it is better to obey than sacrifice. We've already ascertained, ascertained that the gospel is of God. We've already been reminded of the price of having the gospel message was the giving of the Lord Jesus Christ to die on that cross for sinners so that guilty, held, deserving souls might be saved. Tell me, does those truths not warrant us at least to obey the message? To give heed to the invitation? Come unto me, all yet labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation that comes from the Lord Himself. The same truth is found in Hebrews chapter 10, where the Apostle Paul speaks of those who sin willfully after that they have received the truth. He says, There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. And then he makes reference to those in the old times who were disobedient to the law of Moses. You do well maybe to give consideration just to these couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 28. He says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. That was the consequences. They were stoned to death. Verse 29 then. He says, of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. How much sorer punishment 
Lest you miss the import of those words, let me remind you that you cannot be neutral. Walk out in rejection. Walk out in disobedience to the claims of the gospel. And you are but heaping wrath and judgment upon your own head because you're trampling underfoot the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're doing despite to the Spirit of God that applies a word to your soul. Claims of the gospel require a response on the part of the sinner to repent of their sin, to turn from it, and in faith to accept God's free offer of salvation as it is presented to you in the gospel and as God's Spirit is striving with you. The same note is what James brings out in his first chapter, James chapter 1 and the verse 21, he says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and sufflerity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Be ye doers of the word. And he uses the very simple illustration of what that is like. It's like somebody, you get up in the morning, you go before the mirror, and you see what is needed to be done. You need to clean the teeth, you need to brush the hair, you need to wash the face. But it's like the man or the woman who goes to the mirror, and he sees all those things, and he walks away and does nothing. That's the one that hears the message, but doesn't do it. Doesn't respond to it. And dear man or woman, here's your mirror. This is the mirror because it shows you you're a sinner. And it shows you where your sin is taking you to. And it shows you what you need to do. It shows you the only remedy for your sin. It's all in this mirror. There is, you see, the responsibility. I trust that you understand clearly that it is a privilege in hearing the gospel message, but there's the responsibility in your part to do something about it. And while we acknowledge the sinner cannot do anything of themselves, yet the very fact that God has you under the preaching of the message of the gospel, that in itself is a mercy to your soul. That tells me that God has moved you because you're not here by accident tonight. You're not here because you said to a loved one, I'll come tonight. You're here because God knew you would be here tonight. And he hasn't finished with you. And the greatest and the best response you can make to the message is to repent of your sin. It is to turn away from it. It is to realize the consequences and the filthiness of it and to turn by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and to experience the new birth. Consider those in the Scriptures who they warn us against being disobedient. We're, we've homed in on this little word. The requirement of the sinner, you see, is to obey the gospel of God. But there are those who were disobedient. You think, for example, of Judas. Judas was a man who walked in the very presence of the prince of preachers who was with the Lord Jesus Christ for those number of years, a man who was in the very company of God's people, a man who was even given position amongst them, A man who heard all of Christ's sermons, 
who saw some of the miracles that were wrought, who had many pleadings to his soul. Pleadings like Matthew chapter 26 and the words of verse 24, the Lord Jesus Christ has said this to him in the company of them all. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. You see, a few verses prior, he said to them, Verily I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. And they look around and they say, it must have been Judas. No, they didn't. You know what they did say? They said, is it I? Is it I? And that tells me how Judas fitted so well in amongst those other disciples that were seeing. And yet Judas heard the warnings. And the warning there is a very solemn warning. He's saying, it's better, Judas, if you were never born than to betray the Lord Jesus. And he heard those warnings and yet he went out. He did the work of the devil. He was a man who was in disobedience and Judas went to his own place. We think of Felix. Maybe no one is a better example of a man who heard the preaching of the gospel and yet was disobedient to its claims and rejected it. A man who heard the gospel preached with power and with authority. And we are told of the very content of the message that the apostle brought before him. He reasoned with him of righteousness. That which I've already touched upon in my first thought. The righteousness of Christ, how we need it. He, t- he went on to preach about the temperance and of judgment to come. And by the way, when, we, when he spoke of temperance, it's not as we would associate it today, when we associate it today as refraining from alcoholic drink, but it is to do with self-restraint. In other words, Paul stands before him as a prisoner and he challenges Felix of his sinful relationship with Drusilla. Drusilla was a Jewess, but she was only a Jewess, as it were, in name only, because it just was as if the seventh commandment didn't exist. She was an adulterer. The both of them were in an adulterous relationship, and Paul standing before Felix and he preaches temperance to him, self-constraint. And of the judgment to come. And we read of how that man was made to feel himself stand before the great white throne judgment. The tables are turned, you see. Felix is no longer in control. Felix is a king. Paul's a prisoner. But Paul preaches. And the tables are turned. And it's made to look like Felix is the one that's standing before God. And we read in the scriptures of the effect that that message had on his heart. It says he trembled. Did you ever tremble under the sound of the preaching of the gospel? It literally means he shook from head to toe. Under the conviction of God's Spirit, I would be fearful of those who can sit under the preaching of the gospel and it has no effect whatsoever upon you. I would rather that you did tremble. But men and women, the point is this. Felix trembled, but sadly that's all he did. For he sought to defer the matter to another convenient season. 
He was disobedient to the invitation of the gospel. He was never, never to tremble under it again. He put off what he knew, what he needed to do, and what was required of him. And tonight, Felix knows all about being disobedient to God's message. But for him, it is eternally too late. But it's not too late for you. What's going to be your response? You see, in my text, there's the end of the ungodly. Felix is in hell tonight. He rises and sinks in those flames. And there's still the lake of fire to come. He has no hope of ever escaping from that place because there's no far exit. There's no escape. You see, dear friend, my text speaks of a destiny. For if you read it with me again, the question is, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? If the correction and judging of God against his own people can be experienced, if God's judgment begins with his own people to chastise them for sin, then what shall the judgment be to those who heard the glorious message of the gospel, to those that heard Christ and was presented with Christ uplifted before them and yet rejected him? Who went out Sabbath by Sabbath trampling underfoot the precious blood that he shed. Who can express fully or say how dreadful their end will be? The solemn warning issued here is to be taken heed to. There's nothing before the sinner and the disobedient but a fearful looking for of judgment. I want you to turn back to Second Thessalonians, please. Second <coughs> Thessalonians chapter 1. We're reminded here in what manner the Lord will be revealed one day. He came in all humility. But he's coming back in power and glory. Second Thessalonians 1 and 7 says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. And the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In Flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Do you know, men, women, hell is not here on earth. I've heard people say, this is hell. I've heard a man tell me that on the door, doors years ago actually. Eternal destruction in hell. You're separated eternally from the presence of God. We know God's presence in this earth. We know God's presence in this meeting house. But men and women, the punishment that is described here is everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. That's why here's not hell. 
That's the manner in which the Lord will be revealed. And one of the greatest sins that man can ever commit is to reject the Lord Jesus Christ and despise the message of God's free offer of mercy. It's the unpardonable sin. It's true of the unbelieving Jews. The Lord came unto his own, but his own received them not. And you know, as he was presented before them with Pilate, how they cried out to them of words that would chill your very bones. Matthew chapter 27 and the words of verse 25 says, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. What a thing to say. Nation put him to death. Come unto his own and his own received him not. They put the message from them. They declared themselves unworthy of eternal life. The woe of heaven rested upon such cities for the Lord was to upbraid them for not repenting after they had seen so many miracles that was done in them. Let me remind you of that. Matthew chapter 11 this time. Verse 21. He says... Verse 20 says, Then he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. That's Bethsaida was where some of his disciples came from. Bethsaida was where, even on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, the miracles wrought there. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, listen to this, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. Capernaum was where the Lord ascended his earthly ministry. He didn't center his ministry in Nazareth. We read that he left Nazareth and he came down to Capernaum. And it was exalted to heaven. But it'll be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Cities which were privileged. But their judgment and their end shall be worse than the judged in the damned cities of Sodom. And we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Men and women, there are the awful consequences of rejecting the gospel. And the fearful thing is this, that you tonight in your own sea of state are on the very precipice of falling into such a judgment and being lost for all eternity. What's that look like? Revelation 14 would tell us in the words of verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. You see, this is not watered down. It's the cup of God's wine and he's using it as an illustration. And it's not mixed. And there's some that would have mixed the liquids in those days so as to make more money out of them. 
but it's without mixture into the cup of his indignation and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name Revelation 20 15 and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire And the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever. And have no rest, day nor night. What shall your end be? One of eternal pain. One of eternal torment. And so remember, the next time that you hear of a believer's portion or lot being a hard to bear and they're going through a little suffering or a great suffering, they seemingly are going through the fires of affliction. Remember, remember this. It will be as nothing as compared to what God has in store for the disobedient and for you who reject Christ as your Savior. Who reject the gospel. The judgment of hell is beyond my words or any preacher's words. That's why I simply plead with you that you might flee from the wrath of God that is to come, that you might run to Christ who has paid the penalty, who has paid the judgment for our sin in his own body on the tree, And who has paid the sinner's hell so that you might never have to go there. Because men and women understand this. That sin has to be punished. God is a holy God. And sin has to be punished. It will either be punished in you in a lost eternity. Or it is punished in Christ on the cross of Calvary. Remember this. What shall the end be of them? that obey not the gospel of God. May the Lord write that question on your soul tonight and bring you to an end of yourself, bring you onto himself in salvation for his own glory's sake. Amen.